Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for joining us to the Credit Sites Sector Podcast. I'm Zach Griffiths, your host, Senior U.S. Investment Grade Strategist, and joining me today will be Jim Dunn, the Senior Consumer Analyst. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right, so let's jump right in. If you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for 2023, what would it be and why? I think my answer to that question is probably not too different from a lot of investors these days as it ties more towards inflation data and maybe PCE data. And the reason being there is because much of our investment considerations are sort of tied to technicals and risk on views and the like. So those seem to be the main issues moving the markets, particularly for the consumer goods sector. Although I do cover a broad swath of consumer names. And if you consider a sector or subsector, such as the cruise lines, there are more sector specific data that we would like to have eyes on. And they do speak to sort of broader consumer strength as well. Those would be the likes of forward bookings data and maybe just because they're a proxy of how the consumer is spending on services, which is obviously a big part of where consumer demand has shifted recently. Definitely. I'd say the inflation data has been top of mind for everyone, including us. We certainly are hoping that inflation is coming down this year as the Fed has tightened a ton. But what remains to be seen, I'd say the PPI data released today was not exactly encouraging on that front. But kind of moving into your sector recommendation for 2023, can you give us the rundown there on either the major subsectors or digging in as much detail as you'd like and kind of why your position that way? Yeah, absolutely. Starting with our investment grade recommendation for U.S. consumer goods, we actually changed our recommendation going into the year to market perform from outperform. Our outperform recommendation had been predicated on this idea that there was value in consumer staples and consumer goods broadly to the extent that they had sort of moved with the overall market in the risk off trade that had been in place in 2022. And that was uncharacteristic of that sector in our view, given that consumer staples are generally a safe haven and we hadn't seen any significant credit metric deterioration in the face of inflation outside of one to two credits. And there were fears that the pressures that were impacting those one or two credits would spread to the rest of the sector, but it wasn't our expectation, nor did we see it. And so that had made us positive on the sector and sort of played out as as the year went on. So as we go into 2023, if you look at relative values considerations, there wasn't much in sort of a carry consideration of spreads that made it worthwhile to to that space. And I know there are considerations around risk on, risk off, and a potential downturn, but Frankly, we don't think there's so much risk on now that there would be as significant of a shift to risk off that would benefit 
the subsector than you might expect, because we think some of that trade has carried out in 2022. So those are sort of the relative value and technical considerations. And just from a fundamental perspective, we're really expecting stable credit metrics. We had seen some margin erosion across the space in the face of cost inflation in 2022, but price increases have started to catch up to some of those issues and help to recover some margins. And free cash flow cushions are generally good because even though there's been some margin compression, top lines are higher ultimately. So profit dollars are stable. And for the most part, we're expecting stable credit metrics. So when you combine all those things together and see that the overall index is trading tight to the investment grade index, it supports our sort of market perform recommendation. And then quickly from a high yield perspective, where we took more of a negative view moving from market perform to underperform, a lot of that really speaks to the fragmented nature of the high yield index, where one to two large issuers who make up a significant portion of the overall index can drive the narrative there. And some of those names have M&A exposure, and some of those names have exposure to discretionary spending categories where we expect and have already seen more significant pullback in spending from the consumer le- level. And really because they're exposed to categories that had done really well in the pandemic, but where consumer shifts have moved away from those categories. And now we're seeing where retail inventory management decisions are compounding those headwinds. Great. And so definitely key to highlight those two changes to your recommendation to start 2023. With that recent update, what would you need to see in either IG or high yield to to change your view? I know it's kind of been a fast and furious start to the year with spread tightening really across IG and high yield. But what kind of things are you focused on just given what we've learned in what seems to be a fairly impactful first month and a half of 2023? First, primarily for investment grade considerations, we would have to have an expectation of a more significant downturn in the economy than what our base case is from the strategy level and from our subsector level to the point where we think that a risk off trade would be substantial enough that even though much of that has played out in our view, um, institutional money just flows more towards safe haven credits. I think that's the largest thing that would have to change. It would be one of those situations where it wouldn't necessarily be spread tightening and be loss mitigation at that point. And then for high yield considerations, I think things would have to stabilize or improve for discretionary spending patterns in categories that are causing weakness for large issuers like Newell Brands, for example. The way that consumer habits have been trending, it's not our expectation that we're going to see that. And the interesting thing there is if the first happened, make us change our view of investment grade, that'd be worse for the high yield view. Yeah, definitely an interesting dichotomy there and kind of the key things that could change your thoughts from an IG and high yield perspective. So with all that in mind, how do you think clients are positioned in your sector right now? Do you think there's a more positive or negative view? And we can certainly separate that into IG and high yield if that's helpful, since they're kind of expected to move in opposite directions, depending on your view of of broader risk on and risk off trends. Yeah, this might not come as a surprise to you, but there is such a high level of skepticism in across our space, across many spaces, I'm sure. And it was maybe more so in 2022 because of fears 
of what cost inflation would do to margins and this idea that that would spread across the space and you'd see leverage metrics deteriorate. We've actually seen investors' mindsets calm, calm down a bit in that regard, sort of traces a little bit the broader rally at the end of 22 and into 23. And really fourth quarter results for investment grade companies are showing that companies are going to be able to recoup some of the costs that ate into their margins earlier in 2022. There's still concerns around particular categories and sectors, but I think generally investors are comfortable taking select risk within investment grade in the form of going down in ratings quality because results have shown resiliency for consumer staples names in a way that makes investors comfortable even in the face of an economic downturn. And I definitely think there's more caution around names that have higher direct exposure to discretionary spending categories versus consumer staple categories. That figures more in high yield than it does in investment grade. But I do think that there's Maybe a bit more comfort at the institutional investor level now, you know, going to a a low triple B versus a mid triple B or high triple B than there was in mid 2022. That's very hopeful. And so I think that paints a good picture of what we're looking at from a fundamentals perspective and perhaps a client positioning or client comfort with the sectors across IG and high yield. So let's move on to new issue activity in 2023 and what you think will drive deals or keep issuers on the sidelines as we look ahead. Yeah, we don't really have a pipeline of M&A that you could point to for expectations of new issuance, not in terms of deals that are on the books and need to get funded. There could be bolt-on M&A deals or more smaller size deals that require some debt financing, but bolt-ons typically in the one to $2 billion range. And already with one deal we saw in the high yield space, we've seen portion of it be equity financed. And so there is an eye on cost of capital. In terms of maturity calendars, most treasury departments were extremely active in 2020 and 2021 in terming out the front five years of the curve. So very balanced and limited needs in terms of bond maturities. Although for those names that do have upcoming maturities, they tend to be sort of seasoned issuers and high quality names in the high single A or low double A space. For example, PepsiCo, which was recently in the market, we just simply expect them to term out maturities as they come due. In order for that outlook to change, we'd have to see a market adjustment in the view and expectations for M&A. And there has been an uptick in chatter for some names about an interest in M&A, not necessarily massive deals, but something to watch there. But right now, I think overall, the expectations would be for issuance versus prior years to be lower. Okay, so looking for lower issuance this year compared to 2022 and certainly past years when there was plenty of room for opportunistic financing in 2020 and 2021 at very low levels. And so I, I think we kind of hit on this, but is there anything more as far as, as the breakout between refi, M&A? Sounds like there's limited interest there, or at least not huge deals, debt issuance to fund dividends and share buybacks. Any changes in management thinking kind of outside of the dealing with higher rates that, that are prevailing today? I would say that there's certainly 
if you look across a broader consumer sector, some in the consumer goods, but in some adjacent consumer sectors as well, there are management teams that have acknowledged that the cost of capital now doesn't realistically support debt-funded shareholder awards the way that it has in, in previous parts of the cycle. For the most part, investment-grade names use discretionary cash flow to support shareholder rewards, and, and that hasn't really changed to the degree where there may be excess capacity on the balance sheet. You could maybe see an issuance, but not so much, I don't think, as in recent years. And actually, we've seen a couple of management teams take more conservative posturing with their long-term leverage metrics, primarily around cuspier rated names, low triple B names like Kraft Heinz and ConAgra Brands, where long-term leverage targets had created some ambiguity around whether they had a firm commitment to investment grade, and they shored that up by lowering their leverage targets. So I would say the combination of more conservative posturing on the balance sheet and the cost of capital downplays the likelihood of debt financed shareholder rewards. And then there are a couple issuers in our coverage where leverage is below a long-term target. So maybe you could see share, shareholder rewards and debt finance shareholder rewards as a mechanism to get back to those levels. But M&A has also been included in the capital allocation conversations of those names. Great. And so just thinking about how we started 2023, have there been any big new issues in your sector that are worth commenting on as far as investor receptivity and how the deal has went and, and you know anything else interesting as far as new issue to start the year? If I think about the noteworthy examples, it's really been the larger issuance has come from bellwether names, the likes of Pepsi, which I already mentioned, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks. These have largely been new issuance to refi upcoming maturities. Just to speak to the general financing conditions, very limited new issue concessions amongst these names recently, maybe more so in the triple B category, so Starbucks. And Starbucks does have some exposure to China and headwinds from the recent surge in cases over there. But for consumer staples in that sort of single A and double A space, even limited new issue concessions recently, there has been an interesting trend. Not, I've noticed a couple examples outside of the consumer goods sector, but this issuance of three-year non-call one, but a call structure for investment grade bonds. A couple examples in our space, most recently with Constellation Brands and General Mills. And I think it speaks to sort of the uncertainty around, around rates over the next couple of years, and it gives them flexibility to lock in at a fixed rate. In a couple of those instances, Constellation Brands specifically was replacing floating rate with fixed rate. So then in addition to putting a fixed rate liability in there, you have optionality to take it out in the next couple of years. But there's a premium that they have to pay for that. I think it's typically been about 40 basis points wide to what we'd other expect fair value to be. Interesting. Yeah, I think that speaks to sort of what we're seeing from a macro perspective where we kind of thought coming into this year, maybe we'd have a little more clarity on rates as the Fed might be close to done. But I'd say the, the latest positioning by Fed policymakers has been hawkish. And so our view on the strategy team is, is the five-year and 10-year treasury yields will kind of converge at around 4% at the end of this year. So not looking for a big move higher like we saw in 2022, but definitely seen more volatility than we expected to start 23. And so, 
with that backdrop, are there any big issuers that you anticipate coming to market over the next couple of months that you think would be worth highlighting? Or is, is there kind of limited visibility on that at this point? <clears throat> Well, heading into the year, the names that we signaled as likely issuers for refinancing purposes were Procter & Gamble and Pepsi. We've seen both of those in the market already. Other large issuers that could come for refi needs, you know, Coca-Cola is often in the market. Again, Bell with their name, sort of bulletproof name through the cycle. But more limited needs among the triple B cohort, and none that I would think of offhand where it's where we're expecting significant issuance. And by significant, I mean, if they do have maturities coming due, it's generally in the 500 million to a billion dollar range. Okay, great. So shifting gears a little bit, what are some things that keep you up at night when you think about your sector and recommendation, whether that be risks that are perhaps widely focused on or per, or something that, that you think is, is not getting enough in t attention as far as, as risk to your sector? Yeah, I know that this is focused on consumer goods, but I also oversee coverage of crews and I lose more sleep covering those names, but it's sort of related to the broader conversation we're having now. And then also the first question that you asked me about what sneak peek data I'd be interested in. When data gets released, inflationary data and PC data is what really interests me the most these days. I think it ties to broader economic considerations. And so if I'm losing sleep on inflation data, it's because of how it could play into the Fed's decisions and actions that they could make that would then change the risk on and off dynamic and require some different thinking for our recommendation. For more discretionary spending categories, it's a worry about if the patterns that exist now with consumer spending would be altered. So the consumer is very clearly spending more on services and less on, on durable goods. I'm fine with that in terms of a recommendation perspective right now because we've positioned our recommendations to cater to, to those patterns. The worry would come from if economic pressures got to a point where we saw a drop off in that service spending that has benefited categories like leisure. Definitely. And so I think that's kind of been a key theme is, is this macro data is very important because of what the Fed is going to do. And it seems like it's been a, a hawkish couple of weeks, perhaps increasing the risk that our hard landing scenario comes into play as they continue to tighten if inflation doesn't come down. And that kind of shifts the the risk on risk off backdrop and sort of considering that, are there any specific issuers in your coverage space that you are particularly concerned with or have the most downbeat outlook for in 2023? <clears throat> well, certainly the ones that are most tied to spending on service that I just mentioned are the cruise lines, but this podcast would go on for far too long if we started to speak to them, but just the bullet points there are, they've yet to restore metrics to pre-pandemic levels and they borrowed a lot during the pandemic. So they have a lot of debt coming due over the next few years. So what happens with interest rates and consumer demand is huge for those stories. Within the consumer goods space, I think an interesting, couple interesting names to highlight are in the high yield space in the double B ratings tier in Mattel or Newell brands. 
Mattel toy manufacturers, a name where we have a positive view because we think metrics are worthy of investment grade. And even though we've seen some pullback in spending or in sales results in the fourth quarter of the holiday period, we think the outlook for 2023 still supports stable credit metrics and makes the case for investment grade ratings. They already have investment grade ratings from one out of the three agencies, so they only need one more upgrade to get there. For an index purpose, interesting thing in the most recent results is that the pullback, the decline in sales that we saw, it wasn't necessarily indicative of a reduction in end consumer demand. And it speaks a lot to what we're seeing with retailer inventory management because Newell will report both gross billings. So that's sales into their retailers and then point of sales data, which show consumer takeaway where the actual transactions happening. Point of sales data were actually up low to mid single digits. Slow start to the quarter, but accelerating towards the end of December, whereas gross billings were down significantly, double digits in some cases. So it shows a split between how the retailers are ordering and what the consumer's buying. So that's an interesting issuer example. And then you've got Newell Brands, where we took a more cautious view a month or so ago because of concerns specifically tied to consumer spending less in categories that they were real trigger happy with in terms of spending during the pandemic and combine that with the fact that retailers like Walmart and Target are keeping inventories artificially low in those categories in order to correct some of their missteps in mid-2022. It's just really creating multiple headwinds at the same time for certain buyers. And Newell's one of those. And that had been a rising star candidate in mid to late 2022. And that's turned around quickly. We've seen leverage rise to levels where even their double high double B ratings are at risk. And we saw one downgrade already where Fitch taking them to mid double B. So those are two interesting names where if you monitor what's going on with those results, you, you can really see a lot of what's going on in the consumer sector. <clears throat> Definitely. And so that's the thing to highlight and takes me into my next question, which is what is your top pick, your top pan? best carry trade to start the year? How are you thinking about positioning specifically within names in your sector, or at least from a, a carry perspective, give us some of your thoughts there? Yeah, for the investment grade names, it is really about how much risk from a ratings perspective your mandate allows because we're comfortable going down in ratings quality to earn excess spread. There's numerous examples we have where we're comfortable in a single A over double A or a high triple B over a single A. But overall, from triple B upwards through low double A in consumer staples, our preferred exposure would be Kraft Heinz, where spreads are among the widest in the space where management has recently taken a more conservative posturing with leverage lowering its target to 3x, whereas previously it had been below 4x, and also where the company has shown more resilience in maintaining stable credit metrics and even improving them in the face of cost inflation and some margin erosion in 2022 versus some peers like ConAgra, for example, which I would highlight as a name that we're cautious on and put on the PANS list in the investment grade space simply because leverage is elevated against management's target and really against the low triple B ratings as well. The most recent 
quarter results for that company, ConAgra Brands, did show them earning back some of the margin that they had lost. But while that might have bought them more grace with rating agencies, just still elevated. Then I'd also point out as a pan in there, Clorox Co., because it represents a consideration that we have in the inflationary environment. They have exposure to single commodity category exposure through their important business of bags and wraps. And what we've seen is that consumers are more willing to trade down in categories that that are more commodity-based. That could be bags and wraps. It could be paper and packaging goods. Clorox recently led the category in price increases. So price gaps would have increased to private label. In the past, we've seen examples where when that happens, they concede market share. We're cautious there. So those are a couple of picks and pans for investment grade. And then in the high yield space, I'd note that it's. I just spoke about Mattel and Newell Brands, but we have a constructive view on Mattel, which is a high double B name with metrics that we think are deserving of investment grade ratings, particularly when you compare it to Hasbro, which is already rated in investment grade. It's unclear how the agencies are going to act in terms of upgrades with the economic uncertainty that we're facing. However, it's encouraging to see that the outlook that Mattel has given for 2023 supports at the very least stable credit metrics, whereas the outlook that Newell Brands has given is pointing to leverage deterioration. So not necessarily a pair trade there because Newell's sort of played out a little bit, but just in terms of relative value positioning, those are a couple of names I'd highlight. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. So we have one more question. I think it's kind of a fun one to end on. If you had any words of advice for management teams in 2023 in your sector, what would you tell them? Is this to benefit our investors or for my personal consumption habits in the grocery store? <laughs> Let's benefit the investors with this advice here. Yeah, well, I think the two are going to be related because we've seen just significant price increases from food suppliers. And they've argued that this is to pass through higher costs, which is fair. But I know transitory was such a big buzzword of 2021 and 22. You can make the case that in terms of transitory inflation, supply chain costs should be some of the largest ones. To the degree that you start getting relief on bottlenecks in the supply chain, costs should come down. And you would hope to see that those costs flow through to the products. But food inflation, I think historically has been kind of sticky outside of commodity. So the word of advice is more a word of caution because we seem to be at a turning point where consumers are pushing back on, on prices more recently. So if you push prices further, I think you run the risk of exacerbating trade down considerations at the consumer level. And so from an investment standpoint, that's sort of the consideration I'd make. And then from the personal, and it's no good for business, but there seem to be fewer Oreos in my package of double stuffs these days. So cool it with the shrinkflation, please. All right. Cool it with the inflation, cool it with the shrinkflation. I think we can all get behind both of those initiatives. Jim, thanks for joining us today. That's Jim Dunn, our Senior Consumer Analyst, and I'm Zach Griffiths, our Senior Investment Grade Credit Strategist. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. 
neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.